Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We hope that you'll be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Today we're talking about the value of fasting. We've been talking for quite a while about the subject of making a change to make a difference. If we want to make a difference in this world, we'll say, yes, I want to make a difference. And the understanding we came to is that if I want to make a difference in my environment or in the world around me, the first place I need to make a the difference has to happen is within. I need to make a change inside. In order to change what's going on around me, I need to change what is going on within me. You see, what we truly believe about ourselves, about God, about our situation, about our loved ones, determines the perspective we have, determines the words that we will speak, and therefore also determines the experiences we have. I know because I'm someone who tells a lot of jokes and likes to dig and likes to needle that I can say some things to some people and I know it will be received in a certain way. And I know that if I said the exact same thing to somebody else, it would not be received in the same way. It's just the truth. Why? What's the difference? What I say? No, the perspective. The perspective of the recipient. Our perspective and the way we see things determines by and large the what we experience as well. Positive people turn negative situations into positives. They just have a way of finding the good even in the bad. I have a unique, you could call it a gift, if you like, to find humor in just about every situation. <laughs> Siobhan does not share my enthusiasm for that particular gift. But what I want to say to you this morning is the experience we perpetually accept is the evidence or the fruit of what it is that we truly believe. I want to say that again. The experience that we have, that we perpetually accept, in other words, that we've resigned ourselves to, that we are living in and considered to be the norm and the status quo, is the evidence or the fruit of what we truly believe. You see, what I truly believe is not what I read in the Bible. What I truly believe is not what I say. What I truly believe is not even my intention. What I truly believe about myself, about my relationships, about my environment, is that which I have grown to accept and consider to be so. And this is the fight of faith that each of us have to fight every single day to understand and to realize that we see some things in the Word of God, and God makes us wonderful promises that very often when we look at our natural circumstances around us, there's an incongruency. And the question is, do I remain where I am and accept what I have around me and that God's Word is just kind of something out there? Do I perhaps try and explain my situation by bringing the promise of God down to my level and, and disqualifying it somehow that in my situation that promise doesn't apply? Or in my, what I'm going through right now, God doesn't quite work that way. Or for people like me, it's not the case. Or am I willing and prepared to say, I don't... My experience tells me that I don't truly walk in or believe the fullness of what God's Word says in this situation. Now, I know what it says. I understand the promise of what it says. But have I perhaps comfortable and grown familiar with my current circumstances and my current environment? 
You looked at the nation of Israel. God miraculously delivers them out of Egypt. These incredible miracles, parting of Red Sea, walking through on dry land, dripping with not water but gold and diamonds and things and jewels that they've brought out of Egypt. And yet, not much later, they had to fight against this force of unbelief, this force that says, where I am is the way things currently are. They, they, they get to the other, other side of the sea. They're in the wilderness. Their journey, I think it is three days, and they send some spies over to the promised land. Promised land, the promise of God, the thing he's, he's drawn them out to bring them into. And the spies come back, and they give this report. Twelve spies, ten say, man, that, that land is big. It's full of giants. It's got awesome stuff in it, but no ways we can defeat them. Two people, the Bible said, had a different spirit. They were... Caleb and Joshua. Those are the only two from that entire generation. Over a million people. Only those two entered the promised land. Think about that. Has God given you and I great and precious promises? Yes, He has. He's given us His Savior. He's given us everything that we need to enter into and to stand in that strength and that hope and to walk in it, to lay hold of it, to, to enter into it. But just because the promise has been given does not guarantee the fulfillment of that promise. Did you know that? God promised His people. Now, God was faithful to His promise, but that generation never got to receive it, never got to enter into it. You see, God is always faithful to His promise, but not every one of us get to enter into the fullness of that in every area of life. That's what I said is the fight against this force of unbelief. What is unbelief? Unbelief is accepting as normal, accepting as my lot something contrary to what God says is for me. It is believing that God cannot do what He says He will do. That is unbelief. And like we said, Caleb and Joshua had a different spirit. They still had battles to fight. They still had to go in and shout walls down and, and have battles. And, but there was a different spirit within them than within everybody else. The faith in God that they had was greater than any obstacle that they would face. That made all the difference. Now, one of our greatest weapons church, in fighting this fight of faith, one of our greatest tools, one of the greatest gifts we have is the discipline of fasting, is the discipline of fasting. Fasting is a powerful spiritual discipline. Now, in the midst of what we've been sharing over the past few weeks, in the midst of where many of us are and the struggles and the battles that we're engaged with, sometimes we see our situation and that faith to prevail, that faith to overcome, that faith to press through sometimes seems a way off. We, it just seems elusive to stand and, and to lay hold of. But fasting is one of the greatest gifts that God has given us to deal with this area of our lives, to deal with the area of unbelief. What is fasting? Fasting is what? It's abstaining from food for the purpose of prayer and waiting on of God. It's to change what's going on on the inside of us. The purpose of fasting is to weaken the flesh, to starve the flesh. You see, what happens is we habitually, and the world around us coaxes us and, and feeds us into this, especially in the consumer-driven society that we live in. Everything is geared to satisfying the flesh. If it feels good, do it. You 
deserve it. It's all about getting something to make us comfortable, us happy. I mean, isn't that the pursuit of happiness? Isn't that kind of the mantra that's out there in the world today? I just want to be happy. It's amazing you don't see God ever promising us happiness. He promises us joy, unspeakable and full of grace. True and genuine happiness comes through the contentment we find in Him. But this world's pursuit is just immediate relief from whatever struggle I might be going through so that I can be content and that I can be happy. So what we end up doing is yielding to whatever need or yielding to whatever desire. You hungry? Eat. You want some more? Eat some more. Want some more sweet things? You deserve some more sweet things. You having a bad day? Go have a chocolate. You need... I, do you ever have those I need a milkshake days? I need a milkshake. I deserve a milkshake. I've worked hard today. Or when you're trying to train. You've run this morning. I deserve a piece of cake for that run. <laughs> These are my struggles, by the way. This is just... Anybody else go through this? Amen! Ah, we have a witness! <laughs> we are so conditioned and so prone to feeding our flesh. So what, is, what happens? Listen, is cake wrong? Is, no, there's no sin in this per se, unless we're talking gluttony, which is another, another message altogether. We're not going to go down that road today. But here's what happens. We develop a pattern in our lives where we yield and give in to the comfort of our flesh. And so whenever a voice or an unction within our flesh rises that is uncomfortable or a desire, we're programmed to meet that need. And so what it means is we become led by, motivated by, we govern our systems around and our days around mealtimes, right? What is convenient and easy for the flesh. So we become governed by the flesh. And we live like everybody else in the world does who does not have the Holy Spirit living within them. Fasting is designed to starve the flesh, to weaken the flesh, to weaken the influence and the voice of the flesh, through temporary suffering. Hey, it's not always lacquer. It's not always pleasant. It's not as nice. It's not a comfortable feeling. But boy, does it produce great results. Because my flesh and the yielding to my flesh cannot produce within me the faith that I need to overcome the challenges that I'm facing. It's impossible. Let me give you an example. Well, let me give you an analogy rather. Faith is a spiritual exercise. It's a spiritual force that is released through exercise. Do me a favor. Close your eyes for a minute. Close your eyes where you are. And I want you to imagine standing in front of a mirror in your dream body. Just think about that for a moment. Hmm. Hey, good looking. Now open your eyes. Look down. How much did that accomplish? Did anything change? Why not? Let's try. Should we try again? Should we try again? Why did nothing happen? Because thinking about a change doesn't make any difference. 
What is it going to take to get your dream body? It's going to take probably a change in diet, and it's certainly going to take some exercise, right? Think about exercising. Does it going to produce you any results? No, it won't. It won't. Thinking about exercise is not going to... I wish it would. Don't you wish it was that easy? But I actually have to get out there on the road and go for the run. Now, if I exercise once, will it do me any good? It'll do me a little good. It'll remind me of how unfit I am, about how weak I currently am, but it will bring no real lasting change except for a little bit of stiffness and pain for about three days after that. Now, if I start exercising regularly, three, four times a week, will that do me some good? Absolutely, it'll do me some good. And it won't just benefit me physically, but it'll benefit all kinds of areas in my life. It'll release, what are those things called? Endorphins, happy, happy, happy hormones, thank you. I couldn't get the right word there. I'll feel better about myself, I'll feel more confident, my brain will be more alert. Uh, everything about me starts improving. My outlook on life starts improving just by doing regular physical exercise. Now, if I submit myself to a personal trainer who manages both my intake and my output, what kind of results do you think I'm then going to have? I'm going to have tremendous results if they're any good. I'm going to have tremendous results because now I am dealing with somebody who knows exactly how to manage my situation, sets, has a plan, and sets me on course. I want to say to you that fasting and prayer, fasting together with prayer is exactly like physical exercise. Thinking about having great faith, thinking about it is not going to bring you great faith. Praying and reading Scripture once. You're in a situation, you pray about it once, you read Scripture. Is that going to do you much good? There's not going to be any real lasting change in your life. What about praying often and meditating often? If I do that on a regular basis, I pray, I wait on God, I, I meditate in the Word, that's going to do me lots of good. Not just in my spiritual, but it's going to give me grace and strength that I need to overcome things at work. It's going to change my perspective about people around me, about myself. My exercise is going to improve the more I do that. It, it has a ripple and a positive effect on many things. And likewise, even in the area of our faith, submitting to a personal trainer, Holy Spirit, who manages, who I allow to manage both my input as well as my out, output, takes me to a whole new level. We're not just talking about keeping fit for fitness sake. Those who are running the Olympics, those who are winning, those who are doing, you know, going out there and pushing the envelope and really, they are people who have personal trainers, they have dietitians around them because they know and they understand that they need to operate at peak performance. They need to operate at their full potential. Fasting is like a personal trainer to your soul. It's like the personal trainer to your faith. Where I begin to abstain from certain things and allow my heart by the Holy Spirit to be led in other things, it's going to enable me to maximize my potential in faith. Now, what is my potential in faith? Ephesians chapter 3 puts it this way. To him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can ask, think, or even imagine. How about that body, huh? 
What fasting does is it gives notice to our bodies that Holy Spirit is now in charge. It's like a horse that needs to be broken so that it will be, and trained to yield to its rider. There's different ways of doing that, different methods of doing that. But if you understand, you know, police horses are broken to the point that you can, they, they, they fire firecrackers around them. They will stand in gunfire despite the ringing in their ears and not budge because they're yielded entirely to their rider. Even in the midst of all kinds of things going on around them. That is what fasting does. Paul writes about this to Timothy and he says to him in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verses 7 to 8, Reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and that of which is to come. You see, spiritual and physical growth bear a lot of similarities. Both require the right kinds of nourishment as well as the right kinds of exertion. See, when we don't pay enough attention to our physical state, what happens? We remain weak, unfit, and we can't perform to our potential. Think of babies or little children. How is their progress or their growth measured? By the size of their body, by their weight, and by their strength. So I know, for example, my daughters are at an age now, there's certain exercises they need to be able to do for their age. You know, they need to be able to do monkey bars by a certain age for their upper body strength. And so they measure their progress by what they can do. But what is their natural state without these things? What is a child's natural state without being fed, without having these needs met, without being pushed and encouraged? It's weakness. Now, in the beginning, parents take responsibility for this, but as children and people grow, they take more and more responsibility for their own well-being and their own strength. I want to say it's the same with our minds. We are trained to think. Progress is measured by growth in areas of reasoning and problem-solving. We send our kids to school. They give us feedback on a report. By this age, your child should be able to do this. They need work here. They're excelling over there, but they are being taught how to think. We have school teachers here among us. Kids need to be taught how to think, right? Not just what to think, but how to think. And again, in the beginning, parents take responsibility for this. They send them to teachers who take responsibility for this. And as we grow up and as we grow older, we take on more and more responsibility. And the same analogy rings true for our faith. When we do not pay attention to our faith, it remains weak and undeveloped. The, the, the progress of faith is measured. It is measurable. How? By our Christ-likeness, and how that Christ-likeness, the fruit of the Spirit, manifests itself in kingdom life, in and through and by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, our natural state as people is unbelief. Did you get that? Our natural state is unbelief. Our natural state is to Accept the status quo of that which is going on around us. It's without hope. And just like with a child, God comes in and He initiates and takes responsibility for our faith right in the beginning. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. 
So in the same way that a parent or a mom gives life to their child and nourishment until they're able to do it for themselves, so too God comes in. He gives life to us and gives us this gift of faith with which we may believe Him. Romans 12 verse 3 also says, For I say to you, for the grace given through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. And the, as we grow, we learn to take more and more responsibility for our faith. Again, you look at the nation of Israel. God comes in as the mighty deliverer, miraculously brings them out of Egypt, miraculously takes them through the Red Sea, miraculously and powerfully brings them into the promised land. They shout at walls, they fall down, and then things begin to change. Oh, by the way, in the wilderness, 40 years, there's manna literally falling from heaven, quails nipping at their ankles. Everything is given to them. God does everything for them. But there comes a time where they now enter in and God says, you now need to learn to do this for yourself. Little by little, I will give you this land because if I give it to you all at once, it will consume you. But you're now reaching a stage in your development, in your spiritual development, where I, it's not, I'm not just going to give you everything anymore. You are going to have to start fighting your own battles. I'll be with you, but you are going to go and slay those giants. I'll be with you. I will empower you. I will help you, but you're now going to do it. We don't always like that. I know I use my family a lot as analogies. That's why I'm so grateful my kids go to Sunday school and they don't listen to the messages. Right now they're ignorant of it all. It's okay. So yesterday I get home. I had to go and buy a few things at the shop. Girls, come help Dad unpack the car. So that I've opened the boot. There's three or four bags. I give each kid a bag. Go... Dad, it's heavy, I can't. No, it's not too heavy. You can, you can do it. But it's heavy. It's not too heavy. What is it? What am I ha what's happening? I've got a child who's well able and well capable to carry a bag of that size and that weight, but it's a little bit of effort. And they don't want to exert the effort. The bag got inside. It took a little bit longer. <laughs> but you did it. Well done, my girl. I knew you could. Sometimes that makes them beam, other times it... <laughs> Not so much. <laughs> but as we grow through infanthood, there are battles that you and I are going to have to fight. We're going to have to fight them in faith for our spiritual development to lay hold of the Christ-likeness that He wants to develop in us. So there's strongholds in us that need to be broken down by faith. There's strongholds existing around us in the, in, in the heavenlies that we need to break down by faith. There's victories that we need to gain by fighting with Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit, but that He is looking to you and to me to attain the victory in that space. And our faith needs to grow. Mark 4, 40, Jesus says, we looked at it last week in the boat. They wake him up and he says to him, why are you so fearful? How is it that you don't have faith? Jesus looks at them and said, I know you believed. You've seen a bunch of things. You're walking with me. How is it that your faith is not working? There's a principle that is clear. This is a principle that is clearly displayed in the following portion of Scripture. 1 John chapter 2, verse 12 to 14. The apostle writes, and he says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Little children, that's where you're at. Your sins are forgiven. Praise God. 
I write to you, fathers, because you have known him. That known is an experiential known. It's I've walked with him and I know him intimately. I've experienced his power. I've experienced his promises. I know him. You know him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you've overcome the wicked one. You're fighting your battle and you are winning it. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. You've brought them from orphanhood into sonship and daughterhood. They know the Father. I've written to you, fathers, because you've known Him who's from the beginning. And I've written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. You see, like natural growth, faith requires nourishment, and it requires effort. The way I grow any physical ability, if I want to be able to lift, I have no idea of these things because I don't do weights. If I want to be able to bench press 20 kilograms, should I be able to do that by now, by the way, Dion? Okay. If I want to be able to bench press 30 kilograms, I have no idea if I can. I hope I'll be able to bench press 20. What do I have to do? I have to start with 10. That I can do. I've got to start, and I've got to work it out, and I've got to work that muscle, 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 I've got to keep working that muscle until, hey, I can do 10 now. Okay, let's go to, let's go to 15. Oh, I've got to work that muscle. I've got, I've got, I've got, I've got, there we go. Okay, all right, all right, I can do 15. I can do that. It's not so bad anymore. Then I've got to 20. I'm good, I'm good. <laughs> until, okay, wait, I can do 20. I can do 20. That's what it feels like, right? Now, sometimes in our faith, it's the same. Sometimes I know what the Word of God says, but I'm not there yet. I'm still dealing with myself. And I want to encourage you today, keep on pushing. Keep on pushing. Because you will. Because you can. Because He is with you and He is in you. And by His grace, you can. But take hold of the greatest gift that He has given you. Fast and pray. It's not the greatest gift. But it's a very beautiful, powerful gift. Fasting enables us to enter into a dimension where we deal with our unbelief. You see, unbelief will strip me of the promises that God has for me. It is the same in, in running. Running is one thing I understand because I, I do some running. Getting back into my running again. Because I ran, got into running many years ago. Many years ago when I got into running, I couldn't run 3Ks without walking, without stopping, without... <laughs> I'm not there anymore, thank God. But I used to be able to run 10Ks, 15Ks, and 20Ks, you know, do a half marathon, that kind of thing. And I could do those. And I kind of knew that that's my ability. And then I got out of training. Got flabby, fat, and lazy. Thank you for not saying Amen. But it's the truth. And getting into it again is awfully difficult. You know why? Not just because I'm weaker and more unfit and older. Good grief what a difference a few years makes. But I also know what I should be able to do. I know what I was able to do. And getting fit again, trying to find some kind of rhythm has been really, really hard. And you kind of break through a barrier and you go... Oh, okay. We can do 6Ks without dying, without walking, without... I can do 6Ks again. 
yes, 6Ks is kind of my half an hour routine, three times a week run. I can do it again without literally collapsing on the floor afterwards. Right now, 8Ks. That's the next one. Or 10Ks. That's the next one. It is that working through, it is that pushing through again and again that enables me to deal with my weakness, my flabbiness, my unfitness. And the more I press through, the more that gives way to a brand new me. You understand the principle. It's the same in our area of prayer. But what do I have to do? I've got to starve myself of some things. I've got to starve myself of some comfort on the couch so that I can get out on the road. I've got to starve myself of eating everything I desire all the time. I can still have some things I want in life, but not everything all the time. You understand? I have to deal with that area of my heart and in my life. I want to say to you, church, when it comes to the area of our faith, many of us are flabby and we're fat and we're lazy. We have taken for granted our spiritual health. Spiritual health, well, physical health is hard to get back once you've lost it. We've prayed this morning for two people who are lying in hospital this morning. Man, what they wouldn't give for physical health right now. Not looking after your physical health can cost you so much your very life. I want to say to you today, not looking after your spiritual health will cost you so much, perhaps even your very life. It is not time for playing games. It is not time to take for granted that we're just going to keep walking and God's going to keep clearing the way. Why? Because there are giants that we're facing right now and they're still staring us down. And we're looking at God going, uh, excuse me, um, did you see, just want to check that you know, there's a giant in the, Lord, just, don't want to be a nuisance, he's still, still there, still looking at me. And God will be saying to you this morning, I know. I, I put him there. He's going to train you and he's going to equip you. Because when you overcome him, there's things that's going to be built into you that will change you for the rest of your life. So let's talk about dealing with unbelief very quickly. Man, I still have so much to share with you. Matthew chapter 17, verse 14 to 21. I'm going to read this and I'm going to close off this section and we're going to pick this up again next week. I've, I don't want to rush through this. It's a portion of Scripture where the disciples have gone out. They have healed the sick. They've cast out demons. They've experienced wonderful things in the Lord. Much like the nation of Israel, they went out. They experienced wonderful things in the Lord. But then something happened and something changed and they didn't know how to deal with it. Matthew 17 from verse 14. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to them, kneeling down, kneeling down to him and saying, this man's talking to Jesus, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. So Jesus answered and said, O oh, faithless. What's another way of saying that? You unbelieve, O oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I bear with you? How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. 
And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus, privately, because they were embarrassed, right? They were embarrassed. Would you have been embarrassed? They came to him privately and said, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. Because of your unbelief. It's very interesting. Just pause for a moment. He didn't say because this demon was so strong. He didn't say because this was a particularly ferocious or particularly stubborn demon. He said because of your unbelief. Your unbelief meant you could not see victory in this situation. Your unbelief meant you, could, you didn't experience breakthrough in that situation. For assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. You want to close your eyes and think about that body again? <laughs> nothing will be impossible for you if you believe. If you believe. If you believe. He said, however, this kind does not come out by prayer and Fasting. You see, Jesus was frustrated clearly with his disciples because he wanted them to be operating under the unction and the power of the Holy Spirit, not in the mechanical methods of their own understanding. They were used to functioning in the flesh. You do this and that happens. You do this and that happens. Until they encountered something that could not be dealt with, with natural, by natural means, by natural faith, by the run-of-the-mill stuff that they'd become used to. The disciples were unprepared for this encounter. And their faith was not at a level high enough or strong enough for them to deal with that which they were facing. You see, this kind is not a particular demon. I want you to understand. There's not special ritual you have to do for this kind of demon. And it's, Jesus' blood, Jesus' power, Jesus' name, His authority is over all of them. Amen? Amen. When He says this kind does not come out what he was talking about was not the demon. What he was talking about was the unbelief in their hearts. You see, this kind of unbelief that is unable to cast out demons only comes out of you by prayer and fasting. There are some situations that we will encounter which can only be resolved by greater levels of the presence and the power of God upon us, which we walk in and receive through greater levels of faith in Him. Situations we do not yet have the required levels of faith to deal with. And Jesus tells us quite plainly in this scripture that the level of faith required in this situation comes how? Only, only through prayer and fasting. That to deal with certain areas of our lives and our faith means we have to shut down the voice of our, of our flesh quite deliberately so that we can tune into the voice of Jesus. So that we can tune into our personal trainer. Next week we're going to look at how this works itself out in Jesus' life because for the sake of time I, I want to call it a day there. I want to say this to you, fellowship. Fasting is a spiritual discipline that should be a regular part of the life of every believer. Sometimes we need to go through seasons of fasting. 
Sometimes other people have regular days of fasting. But I want to say to you that given where we are as a fellowship, given the things that we've been talking about together as a family over the last three weeks, I want to encourage you to embrace this principle. I want to leave you with this. We'll touch on it again next week. But when Jesus talks about fasting, He talks about prayer and about fasting in the same portion of Scripture. We'll look at it next week. And He says, put yourself away into that secret place. That secret place. Fasting is not just about abstaining from food. That's just, that's just a hunger strike. But fasting is taking time out of your everyday routine to wait upon God and to deal with yourself, with your heart. If I want to change what's going on around me, I need to change what's going on within me. The degree to which I yield to my trainer is the degree to which I will see the desired results. Amen? Now, I'm not going to be calling official fast over the fellowship that we're going to fast on this day and we're all going to join together. I considered that. But when I read what Jesus says in, in Matthew 6, verse 16, He says, When you fast, don't be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to men to be fasting. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face. No one needs to know that you're fasting. So that you do not appear to men to be fasting. Father, who is in a secret place, pray to Him, and He will reward you openly. In other words, in that secret place, things will begin to shift and begin to change in your heart, which will bring about open or evident results. He will make a change, which will make the difference. Now, I want to encourage you today. I've given you a very basic teaching on some principles behind fasting, how we need to think about the importance of fasting. And just some analogies to help us get our heads around that so that it's not just this thing that I'm, this amorphous thing that I'm, I'm you know, I just stop eating food and, you know, during my lunch break I'll say a quick prayer and that's a good fast. It's, it's actually in the same way that physical exercise is an exertion and it takes effort. Fasting is the same thing. But those who give themselves to it on a regular basis, those who deliberate about shutting down their flesh and not giving their flesh everything it desires in order to give to their spirit man the nourishment in prayer and in worship and in the word that it requires will, 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 will reap the benefit thereof. And in the midst of where we are, in the midst of what so many people are going through, there is a pressing, pressing there is a crushing, there is a working of God. And I want to say to you, it is beautiful. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be worried or concerned about it. God is honing hearts. He is developing and molding characters and lives to fit into something that is very beautiful. You see, when prophetic utterance is given, God takes us and begins to shape us and mold us into that so that we can fit into that. Now, there is much prophetic utterance that's been given over this house over the past few months. And what you are seeing, if you see it as a work just of the enemy, You've missed the point. Because in the midst of where the enemy comes in, God takes what meant for evil, He turns it for good. That's what He does. And in the process, He develops and molds and shapes and changes us into that which is required for that prophetic mandate to take place. Be excited. Give yourself to the Lord. Give yourself to, his, to the personal trainer of prayer and of fasting and see what He will do in and through your life.
Amen? Let's stand together. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.